Welcome back to another episode of Northeastern Next. On today's episode, we have retired CPA Gregory Lanus. We'll hear some great stories about what it was like going to Northeastern in the 70s, an interesting connection with a Northeastern professor, and the power of networking. Let's get into it. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Northeastern Next podcast. I'm here with Greg. How are you today, Greg? Very good, Tommy. Thank you for having me here. Yeah. How's everything down in Connecticut? Well, we finally got some cold weather. Yeah. I'm not complaining. I mean, I'm not complaining. We had warm weather. Leaves are in the ground. Yep. So my yard is full of those things, but. (laughs) It has definitely, this past weekend absolutely felt like the first fall weekend in New England, at least in my opinion. It's either been raining or it's been nothing but a little too much sunshine, a little too hot for me. Well, anytime you don't have to turn the thermostat on is a good day. Absolutely. So thank you again for joining the podcast. And if we can just jump into it, I'd love to hear about your Northeastern experience. If you don't mind giving us just a little bit of background on why you picked Northeastern, what year you graduated from, your degree from Northeastern, even if you have a couple of favorite stories that you'd like to share, because I'm sure we would all love to hear them. Very good. All right. Thank you, Tommy. Well, I grew up in Waterbury, Connecticut. And I went, my high school I went to was Holy Cross High School, and I was the second graduating class out of the school. So there was no history for success with where other, only one of the class was ahead of us that could go. So there's no track record. So the guidance counselor really was not helpful, truth be told. But through my own research, the two schools I wanted to go to were either Fordham or Northeastern. Now, I found out about Northeastern. My parents are reading, true story, my parents are reading the article in Time Magazine about the co-op. And since my parents were born in Brooklyn, I remember my mom and dad saying, you know, you should look at the school because you know New York City. You should learn another city. So the more I followed up on the school and researched as best as you could, because I'm, I'm going back to 1973, so... It's a, obviously a long time ago. But anyway, I chose Northeastern because of the co-op. And and they also were the first school that accepted me. I always said I'd go to the first school that accepted me. And so it was December of my senior year in high school. And I felt with my grades, which were nothing outrageously good, that I figured I better get an interview. And I got accepted right then and there. So going into Christmas, it was wonderful. I, had, I, already, got, I already got accepted. So My first dorm I lived in was Light Hall. And to this day, my two closest Northeastern buds were in that dorm. In 1973, it was the smallest dorm on campus. I think we only had maybe 60 students in it. So I did have a couple of classmates from high school that went to Northeastern. Only one I really stayed in touch with. But my two closest buddies were Light Hall residents. So the co-op program was very good to me. I got my first job working at a big eight accounting firm because my friend's father was a manager with the firm in Waterbury, but my call coordinator could not believe that I got my the job on my own. He said, well, what's the big deal? I sent out a letter, made a phone call, I got the, and I got the gig. The most interesting story, though, I was in the internal audit department at, at the time, it was New England Electric System, which became National Grid out in Westboro. The manager and the director both told me to go into sales. I said, no, I want to be an internal auditor. Like, well, what, what, what are you guys talking about? So little did I know at that time 
that I would end up in a in a sales role. I also did co-op with the Massachusetts Department of Internal Auditors. And I guess I got too chummy with the audit team because <laughs> they said they wouldn't hire me. What, what's, so, what's so bad about becoming friendly with them? Well, I guess that didn't work out well, but it really was a great experience. Now, having raised three daughters, I always told them, I want you to enjoy college life, but I don't want you to love school. Because if you love school, when you get out of school, you think it's going to be easier than it is. So I want people to hate going to school, hate going to class, hate studying, hate midterms, finals, term papers, et cetera. But I want them to love the environment. And we had a great environment. Now, I lived in Smith Hall, which was the first co-ed dorm at NU. And coincidentally, that's where I met my wife. Wow. So we grew up 20 minutes apart and we lived in the same dorm on the same floor. Wow, that's and we funny. were introduced by a mutual friend. So you just never know. And my two closest friends, one of them met his wife at NU and his wife fixed up my other roommate with one of her buddies. So you just never know what happens. Oh, yeah. So overall, it was a very good experience. And I felt quite fortunate to have attended NU. I think that that's a really, just taken away from that story, I think that's just a really interesting perspective to have on not only your university life, but I think that it's pretty clear too that from that story, you were able to take some of the stuff that you learned at Northeastern and develop them into life skills and really apply them to your future career, your personal life, just wherever it may be. Now, that being said, it sounds like from our preliminary call, one of your best skills is networking. And do you mind telling us a little bit about how not only did you network your first job out of college, but you even networked your first co-op at Northeastern? I did. Well, I was also going to say I was an RA in the dorm. And when I interviewed and when I later would interview for full-time employment, mm -hmm. everybody I met always remembered about their RA and what Frank's told. <laughs> so that was always a good conversation piece. But yeah. regarding the co-op, well, I mean, regarding the networking, you know, We'll talk about later where I ended up in sales. However, when you first start out, your spectrum of wanting to do things is very wide. You're going to right. retire by the time you're 35. You're going, to, you're going to see the world. It's incredibly wide. You become a CFO, president, whatever. And as you get older, if you don't like vegetables when you're older, you don't have to eat them unless your doctor is telling you to. <laughs> but as you get older, you migrate to what you really like to do. Mm -hmm. But you may not realize that when you're first coming out of school. So the co-op was, as I started to make reference to, was with KPM, well, Pete Mark Mitchell, which is now KPMG. And I got the job just through my friend. And my co-op coordinator couldn't get over how I was able to pull that off. Now, roll forward to when I'm a senior and I took an internal audit course and we had an adjunct. And the adjunct got me the job with Industrial National Bank, which became Fleet Bank in Providence, Rhode Island. So I was involved with career services on campus. Really, we Northeastern had an incredible program of attracting companies. I took as many interviews as I could. And one thing I did do, I remember IBM and Texas Instruments both came on campus for sales and marketing people. And I got an interview and they look at my resume and they said, well, why are you here, Greg? Because here I was, I wanted to be an accountant, internal audit, whatever. And I said, this is my only chance to have a one-on-one -on -one with a representative of your company. And if you like me, even though you're here for sales or marketing people, you're going to refer me to the accounting 
recruiter. Mm. Well, I got seconds with both of them, but it was a great program. So I'm working in the bank in Rhode Island. My wife and I are engaged. We made a decision. She's living in Boston. Well, Framingham, working in Boston. I'm living in Cranston, Rhode Island. And we grew up in Naugatuck Valley of Connecticut. So we made a decision. We want to move back to Connecticut. But yet, neither of us had a job in Connecticut. So we got married in 79. We got out of school in 78. Use the math, five years, right? Northeastern. <laughs> so how I got the job in uh, in Connecticut, because I went to a CPA firm whose name is now Whittlesey. But when I was there, it was Whittlesey and Hadley. And I would pick up the Hartford Current on the weekend and then I'd get back to my apartment Sunday night in Cranston and I would circle the entry level public accounting ads. So the decision I had to make was, well, do I call? Do I send a letter, send my resume? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And under the adage, if you have all day to do something, it'll take you all day to do it. We were getting married and the clock's ticking. So I got lucky. I made also the decision rather than take a roll of dimes and go into a phone booth at lunchtime or go to a private office and charge it to my apartment phone. Or as I said, send the letter, I made a decision. I'm going to fly home to the, to my apartment and start dialing right then and there because it's now closer to five 30. And the only people that answer the phone are going to be leaders. So I call this one guy and a CPA who subsequently passed away. And he said, I can't help you, but I know someone who can. He gives me Bob Hadley's name and phone number. Well, I call immediately, mispronounced Bob's name. He answered the phone. So I had a prepared 30-second commercial, as it's called today, elevator pitch, call whatever you want. But I, I knew I had to do something. And it was genuine, not recitful. Well, as soon as I said Northeastern to Bob Hadley, Bob starts asking me about the school. I said, why is he asking me about the school? What's the big deal? Well, guess where his daughter and son went? Oh, that's funny. And then another partner in the CPA firm, his son went to Northeastern. And on top of this, Bob and I went to Northeastern and we recruited a co-op. That was his only co-op job. And he's a part, he's one of the top partners in the firm now. So the Northeastern mix or was or, or numbers were really good to Whittlesey. <laughs> so I to this day I still tell him, you know, you owe me. The, the guy helped get a job. You know, we're both old farts. And I said, but you owe me. So that was probably my uh my greatest networking. And I used to tell people, if I can do it, you can do it. That story right there, I think is great too, because it really shows the strength of Northeastern's global network and how much weight the Northeastern name truly carries in the professional world. So that being said, after your first job, you were working at some pretty name brand companies like Robert Half and ESPN. Did the Northeastern name help you at all with those positions or did anything that you learned at Northeastern really help you? Kind well, of... mm -hmm. I mean, when you look at the career services and all the interviewing that were of, that the school had available to me with all the companies coming on campus and all the little seminars we had and resume writing, et cetera, interviewing, blah, blah, blah. That lasts a lifetime because right. you do it once you can do it again. It's just how many times you do it. But after the public accounting, well, one of the clients of the CPA firm was the manager of the Robert Half office. So I went knocking on the door and this was, I want to say 1983. I'm a little shaky. 
And he started talking about becoming a recruiter, going into sales. And I said, no, this isn't what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, a very good friend of mine is a cameraman at ESPN. So we were living in Bristol, Connecticut at the time, my wife and I and our children, or one of our children. We only had one at the time, excuse me. So I begged them to give me a tour. We go in on a Saturday night and I'm walking into a live ESPN Sports Center update. I said, what are we doing in the room? He goes, you drop paperclip, you're going to get me fired. Well, what are we doing here? He goes, I want you to get the experience. So I met uh, Bob Lee that night. Wow. And uh, I forgot the other person I met. Men have been Roger Twyball. I'm a little shaky on who that was. But I came out and I said, I have to work here. So when the opportunity came up in my cover letter, I wrote how I got a tour of the company and I wanted to work there. Of the other supposedly 99 people that applied for the job, not one had a tour. That's a really cool story. And it kind of is making me think about my next question. And obviously your bread and butter is networking. So I think that especially for the younger listeners of this podcast, I think a question that they'd be really interested in, even myself, is what do you think the key to networking is? you think that there's one real key to success for it, or is it a little more multifaceted than that? Well, it's really common sense. And I've done a lot of a lot of seminars on really giving people fundamentals about networking. The first thing is you basically ask for help because you never know how a contact can lead. I end, getting to Robert Half, I ended up working in the sales and marketing departments at ESPN. And I said, well, these guys are all making a ton of money and I'm putting numbers in boxes. I'm a finance person because I became, I became a CPA. And I, so I got out of that and I wanted to get into sales. So I went back. So working at ESPN inspired me to get into Robert Half. But to answer your question, whether it's LinkedIn, whether it's a family member, whether it's your place of worship, whether it's your high school you went to, whether it's, whether it's Northeastern Career Services, whether it's previous, it's grads after you or before you, all those are sources. All you have to do is pick up the phone and call. So it's not hard. It's just common sense. I mean, I tell people, if I can do it, you can do it. I mean, I got the job in the public accounting firm. And then when I was at Robert Half, I became president of the Connecticut Society of CPAs. I was the first non-practicing CPA to attain that role. I was president of one of the local IMA chapters, Institute of Management Accounts. But I've been in two, I've been in podcasts. I serve on the advisory board to two universities. But the fact is all that came out of networking. Becoming president of the Connecticut Society, I was playing in the golf tournament. And a good friend of mine asked me to get on the committee, the golf Mm -hmm. committee. I actually raised the most money. I got people from ESPN, the talent, to be our MCs. So it's not what you do. It's how well you do it. Mm -hmm. So because of my volunteering there, I got asked to, to be on the board. And then that grew into becoming president of the society. That's really cool. And it kind of just... As you're saying that, it kind of reminds me of, and to steal your word from earlier, the adage that the best jobs aren't necessarily the ones that are listed. The one I got at Whittlesey, they weren't even looking for anybody. They hired me. So I don't know if they regretted that, but they hired me nonetheless. (laughs) So how did you get into a space of giving seminars on networking? Well, when I look at my strengths, I mean, nobody was going to ask me to give a talk on technical accounting. I wouldn't ask me to give a talk on technical (laughs) accounting. So, but yet... What value did I bring? Well, resume writing, interviewing, networking, et cetera. 
So it started innocent, innocently enough speaking at one of the schools, one of the colleges. It was a panel discussion. And the next thing I know, I got asked to speak again. And then next thing you know, I got involved with other professors, other schools, because it, it would come from literally doing reference checks in some of their some of their students that mm -hmm. I may have placed. And it just began. And I would say, well, what what are you looking for for your your audience? Well, networking would be great. Resume writing. OK, so I put together some programs and I would tailor it so that it wasn't literally designing the next rocket. I made right. it simple. So you take baby steps until you get confident and comfortable. As I tell people, what is the worst thing that happens if you don't pick up the phone and call somebody? Nothing's going to happen. Right. But what's the worst thing happens if you do? It could lead to something, a, a lifelong friendship. Yeah, absolutely. The benefits absolutely outweigh the uh, risk of everything. That's right. Yeah. So, and, and the thing is, when you talk to people who obtain employment, or continue to prosper if you put them all in the room they would all have the same strengths not i'm saying once they're i don't care what their field of endeavor is whether it's accounting whether it's physics school teacher scientist i don't care whatever it was they'd all have the same common traits but it's asking for help and thanking the person for help and if you help if someone helps you you must remember to help somebody else oh absolutely i think paying it forward is probably a a bit of a cornerstone when it comes to networking. I've spoken at high schools, colleges, universities, the Connecticut Society of CPAs. This this organization is no longer in business, but it used to be the Association of Women Accountants, the Financial Executives Institute, all the IMA chapters, even regionally. I'm forgetting how many I've spoken. <laughs> I don't mean that it just it it's just all blended together. And more than and quite often more than once. So how often are you giving these speaking engagements? And like when you are giving them, how can somebody find out about it and maybe attend one? Well, since I'm retired now, Tommy, that has diminished. The last one I did was probably uh, a year ago. And I did do some during COVID and I did them virtually. And I did one on how to network during the COVID and how to interview virtually. Yeah, that's important. There, were, there was nothing out there to guide people. But I, you know, truth be told, I haven't been asked. And I'm also not necessarily pounding on the door to to ask to, to, to be speakers. But if someone ever wants me, I'm available. So I find over the years, I've actually helped the clients that I dealt with. I've actually helped their their children. Oh, wow. Struggling. The, the kid, whatever, the, the, the child doesn't want to listen to mom and dad, but they'll listen to a total stranger. I get that one. <laughs> Yeah, it's so funny how that works. I give them a plan and I say, listen, if you don't ever call me back, that's fine. If you want to call me back, I'll help you. So, And it but, goes back. It's like, what's the worst that can happen? If the worst happens, nothing. Real, yeah. Who's going to chop your head off? Right. <laughs> Honestly, the worst they can say is no. And right. You, you move on. Move on. Exactly. I mean, LinkedIn is probably the most powerful tool. It is a wonderful tool to find people. And something as simple as, let's say, Tommy, you're at another school, your current role, but you want to get to Northeastern. Well, you can send your resume in, you can apply online, and it'll end up in the circular or the, the delete button. Or you can find somebody who knows somebody that knows somebody that is in the department that you want to pursue. 
It could be an alum of your high school. It could be actually be an alum of the college that you went to. You just never know. All you, all you have to do is look. Yeah, that's a really great point. So kind of to just, well, actually, no, this is another question. You mentioned LinkedIn. Are you on Northeastern's website and you source? Have you heard of that? Well, all right. Now I, I've got to come clean, be transparent, call whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Have I been? No. Will I be? Yes. Good. That's that awesome. Was from, that was after talking to you and Elsie. Oh, great. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I wasn't on it before because once I retired, I would go on the Northeastern. I mean, there's thousands on, on the, on the LinkedIn page. And I would, when I was working, I would go to the LinkedIn group. Mm. Oh yeah. See if there's people on there that I know, because I could have clients that went to Northeastern or I, there could be a company I was trying to get to know and do business with and it would make a big difference if, if there was the NU connection. And NU source, I know, really emphasizes that NU connection. And it's my understanding, it's been a fantastic way, especially for undergraduates to find their co-ops. And it it's really just Northeast, almost exclusive jobs just for Northeastern students or Northeastern graduates. But uh, speaking of just Northeastern and utilizing the network, your networking skills, it sounds like, have given you a really cool opportunity with a Northeastern professors. How, well, what's that? What was that? That's a true story. Well, you go back to 1973. My English lit professor was a guy named Robert Parker. Now, Robert Parker wrote the Jesse Stone series and all the Spencer for Hire series books. That's so cool. And that became a TV show in the 80s, starred Robert Urich, who's passed. Now, Bob Parker died, but... Roll forward to 1975, and I'm with my roommate, and he said to me, we have to take this course. I said, what are you talking about? He goes, it's science fiction, and it's taught by Gary Goshgarian. I said, what? What accountant takes an English lit course as an elective? What are you, nuts? So I take the course. Now, interesting thing is I'm of Greek descent, and Gary is Armenian. I'm going to come back to that. But the Greeks and the Armenians are very close. So customs, food, etc. Well, I don't get to know Gary. I don't meet him. And it was in the auditorium, which at the time was the largest class size in the whole university. So roll forward to our 25th college reunion, which if I did the math right, it was 2003. It was held, obviously, at Northeastern. My wife and I went. One of my roommates who met his wife, that, that group from Light Hall came. And the roommate who made me take the course, was there too. He didn't bring his wife. So it was poorly attended. And you must remember, Tommy, that in the 70s, Northeastern was the largest private university in the country. Really? Oh, I didn't realize that. Well, because of the five years, the co-op, the day students, yeah, the enrollment. But so we get to this hole-in-the-wall small room. We couldn't even find the building. Where are we going? So we walk in. There's the president greeting, whatever. There was a band, you know, they had the marching, whatever. They had some of the band members there. I look around, I said to my wife, well, we pay for the meal. Our kids are home. We have babysitting in Connecticut. So this is not on the town for us. Well, I find the propaganda and it said that Gary Goshgarian was going to be the speaker. I said, oh, this is cool. So I see him walk in and to this day, I still tell him the story. He was standing in the corner chewing gum like looking like a fish out of water. So I said to my wife, there's Gary. I have to go talk to him. She goes, don't embarrass me. I said, don't worry, I will. So I go talk to Gary. He ends up 
sitting with us for dinner and he ad-libbed his talk and it was phenomenal and even talked about how, hey, I was having dinner with Nick and Joan and Greg and Larry and Marianne and we were, ba 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 ba. I said, this is great. So you never know. Anyway, post that. I start to email Gary and call him rarely because you have this image. He's a college professor. He's way up there and he's not going to want to talk to me other than that one night. So use the Greek connection. And Gary is quite an accomplished author for anybody that's never read his books. He goes on, he's got one, I believe one book is under Gary Gosh Gary and the rest are under Gary Braver. So you can go to GaryBraver.com. But he wrote a book called Flashback that came out, I don't know, 10 years ago. While he's right, I said, Gary, you have to put me in one of your books. You got to take care of your Greek brethren here. So my wife and I are in that book. Now, his book that just came out two weeks ago, it's called Rumor of Evil. My wife and I are in that book too. So anybody who's ever read Clive Custler books, when he wrote his books, he used to put himself in a book, in a, mm -hmm. and he'd always put himself in a scene. So I used to call, I used to say, hey, Gary, if Clive Custler can do it, why can't I do it? Who cares? No one's going to care. So, and the deal is if, if it goes bestseller and it becomes a movie, I got to play my own part. Nice. Yeah, we'll see about that. But anyway, so tying that into my speeches and into the podcast that were the two podcasts I was in, what I used to do was take flashback in, in, in the class. And when, the, when my session was over, I would pick on a student, usually the one that I thought was sleeping, pick on someone in the audience. And these were mature adults or, or college kids. It didn't matter. So I'd make them, I'd throw, you know, toss the book. I said, well, read the back flap. And the back flap is traditionally about the author. It said, Gary, Gary Braver, pen name, real name, Gary Gosh, Gary, professor at Northeastern. I said, okay, stop there. Okay, where did I say I went to school? Northeastern. I said, now go to page 115. So they go to page 115. It's a scene in Hartford. And my wife and I are in the book as a couple. And someone starts reading. And all of a sudden, I get, wow. So I say, okay, that's enough. You don't need to read anymore. We're only in there a couple of pages. So I stop. So why do you, and then I ask, why do you think I asked you to read the book? And of course, the answer is that they give, well, you want us to know you're in a book. No, mm -hmm. that's not the correct answer. The answer is, if I can network my way into a book, you can network your way into a job. Now, the podcast that I was in was by the host name is Peter Margaritas, another Greek guy that I met at a at a continuing professional education seminar called a CPE seminar because I had my license at the time and he was the speaker. And we wrote his name on the board. I said, this guy's Greek. I have to go talk to him. So that spawned a friendship. And then lo and behold, I don't know, a year later, six months later, whatever it was, he asked me if he if I'd be interested in doing a podcast with him. And Peter did 29 episodes of interviews. And then his 30th episode was a summary of the 29 interviews. And they were 50 minutes, an hour long, whatever. So he went through all 29 people and their one quote. And, you know, Mary Jones says this. Charlie Jones says this. Then when it was when that was done, he then ranked his five best quotes. So why am I telling you? Here's another story. So he reads off number five. Said, well, I guess I didn't come in fifth place. Whew, good. Reads off number four. Well, didn't get that one either. Odds are plummeting. Goes to number three. Number two. And he said, my number one quote is from Greg Lanus. And it says, if I can network my way into a book, you can network your way into a job. So I tie that all into the networking to show that it is not hard. It's not writing a term paper. And I think that quote, really sums up that sentiment too. 
And I think that's something that, you know, especially like I mentioned earlier, the younger listeners, the listeners who are still in their undergraduate years or are about to graduate their fifth years and about to graduate and really enter the quote unquote real world. It's an important part of the professional world, but at the same time, I can understand why it would be a little daunting at first, but it really is not as bad as it seems to network. And it's a lot easier to network than you might initially realize. Well, you don't want to be phony. You want to be genuine. Have you ever been to a party where you're in conversation with somebody and they're going like this? Like, dude, you're not engaged. You're not even listening to me. You don't (laughs) want to talk to me. That's not, I find to be, that's very disrespectful. So you and I meet for the first time. Well, Mm. follow up with an email, a thank you note. And by the way, I tell people to have an, after an interview or some type of networking meeting, I tell them to follow up with a handwritten note, provided your handwriting is good. Because in the day of snail mail, get something you toss it. And then when we went to email, oh, people couldn't wait to read an email. Well, eventually their emails flooded, delete, 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 delete. Then you get something in the mail. You read it. You do what nobody else is doing. So you have a good conversation. You meet someone. I don't care if you're a freshman or a sophomore or a senior. You're at a you're at a function, whether it's a fundraiser, whether it's some type of dance, a dance, a dinner, I don't care, whatever it is. You just never know who you meet and what that can do for you. And when you don't do something with it, then shame on you. Mm -hmm. So I used to tell people, I'm not saying go in with a tape recorder and record the conversation, but I am saying, get a diary. I don't care. Put an Excel spreadsheet. I don't care. Write down who you spoke to. What what did you talk about? Where does he or she work? Is there a next step? Mm -hmm. If there isn't, so be it. Because you're not going to remember a week later that you met Sally Smith at at this function. Mm -hmm. How do you think Sally would feel if you followed up with a phone call or you sent her a note how nice it was to meet you? You think anybody else is doing it? Probably not. Do you need Sally's help? Maybe not today, but tomorrow you might. One of the easiest ways to find a job in networking is to serve in a not-for-profit. A not-for-profit that you're passionate about. Not to go just for shaking hands and passing out your resume something dear to your heart because traditionally people will judge you professionally by how you act as a volunteer and who serves on the boards most likely professional people out in the workforce whether a doctor a nurse cpa whatever how cool is that that you get to meet them that is really cool that's awesome well i I always tell people in a recession volunteer time if you're unemployed or excuse me between positions Mm -hmm. you're trying really hard volunteer you never know where that leads yeah absolutely some of the most interesting people i've ever met have been just through volunteer opportunities there you go yeah so now if you don't follow up with those people or develop a rapport with them not at the expense of your responsibilities as a volunteer but if you don't follow up with them shame on you Oh, it yeah, it's one of those things where there is a very self-driven aspect to it. And it's kind of a balance between like uh you can the you can only lead a horse to water so there many times. Yeah, make them drink, right. So I mean just something as simple with my first co-op job. Mm-hmm. It 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 grew exponentially. So I lived and died by my networking at Robert Half. When I was there, I became the first person in the history of Robert Half to get 20 million in gross margin. So at one point I was the top all-time cumulative producer. 
worldwide. That's I still, I still, I mean, th these were people I other representatives worked in very large cities, and I'm working in downtown Hartford. So I used to tell people, if I can do it, you can do it. I wouldn't have become president of the Connecticut Society if it wasn't for Robert Half. I wouldn't end up a Robert Half if it wasn't for Whittlesey. I wouldn't, end, you know, the, the the list you you can trace it back and peel back the onion to the original days at NU it goes mm. back to Bob Hadley. So it sounds like you've had a very extensive career, and that's well, I'm no different than anybody else. I mean, that's very kind of you to say that, Tommy. But all, all, I'm just an average guy. I mean, hey, I had my wife loved me. She thought I had money, but all I had was hair. So that's a separate <laughs> issue. But I found my I found my my niche and I went after it. And I think, well, and I think that's a very important thing for people to re remember is that everybody is going to be talented at something. It's really just a matter of focusing on it, I guess is a better way to put it. And really just, I don't know if exploiting is the right word, but once you find your lane and you're able to capitalize on it, great things are going to happen. That's right. And I, I loved, because what I did was I helped people find work and I helped clients solve problems. I was literally a matchmaker. Now, I solve problems and I got paid to do it, which is even better. My whole thing is if I can do it, you can do it. Mm -hmm. Now, I'll say this is that to those that hear this or don't hear it, whatever, for those that hear it, you can find me on LinkedIn and you can send me an email, LinkedIn, whatever they call it. So, and I'll, I'll, we'll talk. I'll get, I'll do my best to help you because I also find that most people are hesitant to talk in a group setting to say they have a problem. But the moment one person says it, they all pipe in and they all have the same issue. So if someone is uncomfortable and needs some help and guidance, I'll walk them down the path because some of these skills are, are uh, timeless. There's other methods to reach the goal. It, the networking skills are always the same. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that everything that you've said this episode is going to resonate with a lot of people. And it's something, it's kind of like you were alluding to earlier. It's a, it's it's universal. It doesn't matter what stage you're at in your career, whether or not you're just graduating, you're in the middle of your career, wherever. It's These are skills that you're going to be able to use and you're going to be able to utilize them fully to help you get to that next level. You know, my oldest daughter graduated number one in UConn's accounting class. My middle daughter became a licensed social worker, mm -hmm. undergrad master's, and my youngest became a naturopathic doctor. So my wife and I are brought up with the same work ethic because we're both children of World War II vets. So we have a work ethic instilled with us that I refuse to, to let it succumb to what's out there today. So a couple of things I would tell your students is that you can never have enough money, but you can only get a grade once. You can always find a job, but you can't take that test over. Never sacrifice grades for money. The other thing is that when you go to Northeastern, and because the name is so pronounced, there's an expectation level that you're going to be better than other schools' students. So because of that, you're going to have to rise to the occasion. But one thing I used to tell my kids is that in everything you do, you have to give an A effort. Because an A effort doesn't always get an A grade, but a C effort seldom gets an A grade. Mm -hmm. So everything you do, Give it an A effort. Yeah. That will pay off dividends in your life. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. I think it's just it's one of those things where I remember one of the best pieces of advice I ever received was, doesn't matter what your job is, you give it all you've got. It's not what you do. It's how well you do it. Oh, absolutely. Now, 
All that being said, like I mentioned earlier, I know you disagree with this. You have had Uh-oh. an extensive career, and I think it's I think your stories have been great, but this is Northeastern next. So I have to ask you, Greg, what is next? My wife and I have an equity interest in a golf course. Oh, okay. We have four grandchildren. And my wife was uh, is a med tech. She retired, but she's back per diem. We babysit two days a week. Mm-hmm. Yesterday was election day. We had all four of them here. So what's next is we travel. We we travel cross country, drove for five weeks, all national parks, and work at the golf course. My wife works at the hospital. So take care of our children, travel, and enjoy and you know reap the rewards of all the effort I put in. Yeah. That sounds lovely, honestly. Well, thank and it, you. And it sounds like you deserved every bit of it. So I hope that... Well, um, I'm no different than anybody else. I mean, the harder you work, the luckier you get. Nothing ever came easy to me. Mm-hmm. Nobody, you didn't ask me how many times it took me to pass the CPA exam. I paid my dues. I got to know people on a first name basis. Oh, nice to see you again. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so I learned to appreciate everything I have. I always wanted more, but I'm always grateful for what I do have. And I think that's a really nice note to end on. Because I think that's something that is going to, it's like I said earlier, that's going to resonate with people from all walks of life. And I think that, I think that's great. And I think that's something that everybody's going to love hearing. So, yeah. And you know how this came out to be? Well, I got Gary a speaking, uh, he's going to come to the Southington, Connecticut Library, which is where we live. Mm-hmm. And he's going to do a book signing. Oh. So I know there's a Connecticut well, there was a Connecticut alumni chapter of NU. I never joined. So I went looking for it, couldn't find it. So I went to the alumni page and I saw that Elsie handles Connecticut. So I called her out of the blue to see if there's something that the school can do to all the Connecticut alums, students, whatever, and promote Gary's book signing. Well, Elsie said, Greg, would you be interested in doing a podcast? Said, well, what do you want me for? And that connected us and- all by picking up the phone and calling Elsie. Exactly. This whole podcast wouldn't have happened without networking. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much again, Greg, for everything. And I hope we stay in touch. I'm sure we will. Call me anytime. And again, as your listeners, find me on LinkedIn. You need help. I'd be happy to talk to you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Northeastern Next. Are you or do you know a Northeastern alum with a great story to tell? If so, email us at alumni at northeastern.edu to be featured on a future episode of the pod. I hope you enjoyed the episode and I'll see you the week after next.